You are listening to The Dish on Health IT, brought to you by Point of Care Partners, a leading health IT consultancy. Each episode will feature a rotating panel of senior consultants and guests who will talk about trends and innovations in health IT, while also highlighting how organizations can leverage these advances to solve their business problems. The Dish on Health IT hosts Pooja Babra and Jocelyn Keegan welcome guests, Anna Taylor, Associate Vice President of Population Health and Value-Based Care with MultiCare, and Heidi Kriz, Director of Medical Policy and Medical Management with Regents. Both of our esteemed guests are members of the HL7 DaVinci Project and are early implementers of DaVinci Implementation Guides. During today's discussion, we'll discuss key takeaways from early implementation projects, real-world benefits and returns on investment of recent implementations, and how other stakeholders should use their experience in the Pacific Northwest as nationwide proof of concept. We hope you find today's episode informative and helpful. If you have any topic ideas you'd like us to cover in future episodes, be sure to share them with us by emailing us at podcast at POCP.com or tweeting us at POCPHIT. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Dish on Health IT, where we invite health IT innovators and catalysts to break down and discuss some of health IT's biggest news and most exciting milestones. We at Point of Care Partners are health IT consultants who work with stakeholders across the healthcare ecosystem and are viewed as an independent trusted party like Switzerland. I'm Pooja Babra, the pharmacy and PBM practice lead here at Point of Care Partners, and I'll be your host for this episode. My colleague and co-host, Jocelyn Keegan, and I are thrilled to welcome special guest Anna Taylor, Associate Vice President of Population Health and Value-Based Care with MultiCare, and Heidi Kriz, Director of Medical Policy and Medical Management with Regents. Both of our esteemed guests are members of the HL7 DaVinci Project and are early implementers of the DaVinci Implementation Guides. So today's, during our discussion, we're going to be talking about key takeaways from early implementation projects, real-world benefits, and returns on investments of recent implementation projects, and how other stakeholders should use their experience in the Pacific Northwest as a nationwide proof of concept. So before we jump into our discussion, I'd like to have Jocelyn briefly introduce herself and tell us what she's looking forward to learning from today's discussion. Joss? Thanks, Pooja. I'm Jocelyn Keegan. I'm our payer practice lead here at Point of Your Partners. And I just realized this week that it's actually my seven-year anniversary since I started working part-time for Point of Care Partners ages ago. So I spend time uh, working on interoperability, specifically um, prior authorizations, and what I like to refer to as sort of the convergence of tech, standards, policy, and product strategy for organizations. As you know, I spend uh, a lot of my time every week working on and advancing the work of DaVinci, and I'm thrilled to have both Anna and Heidi here to talk to us about what it's doing in the real world um, to actually make a difference and prove that this work is happening. And the spirit of the work that they're doing is amazing, but I also think that as you'll listen to the conversation today, sort of the relationships that we're building in order to make this work happen is really remarkable because we're changing the way that payers and providers work together um, with every one of these projects that, that's happening. So back to you, Pooja. Great. Thanks, Joss. So now let's meet our guests. Um, I'm going to have each of you briefly introduce yourself and uh, we'll dig into your organizations and how you got involved in DaVinci in just a minute. But we're really interested in actually learning about you individually and how you got involved in health IT. So Heidi, I'm going to have you start actually. Yeah. So thanks for having us. First of all, really excited to talk about this work. Thrilled to be here with Anna um, and our provider partner in this work. I think I always have the same answer that every podcast I listen to has the same answer. I never really thought I would be in health IT. (laughs) I have always been very interested in the human body and health itself. I became a registered dietitian and was quickly exposed to our healthcare system, um, working for a large system in Spokane, Washington, and then also working in the outpatient side. So kind of got a feel of of both sides of, of medicine and learned a lot. From there, I got my master's in public health and epidemiology and healthcare administration with uh, 12 different state Medicaid programs around the U.S. at Oregon Health and Science University. Um, And then from there, kind of landed me in the evidence-informed policy world, and then ultimately at Regents. And then at Regents, started to really get a feel of the payer side and, and the burden of prior authorization, really saw an opportunity that was exciting to improve it. Great. Thank you so much. Anna? I am going to second Heidi's. Thank you for having us here today. Such an always an honor to participate in these things and to tell our stories. The reason I, why I'm in health IT is truly by accident. 
but intended, right? With intention, intentional accident. I, my love language is access service. I went to engineering school. I wanted to re-engineer how people learned, how people are taught. I wanted to be a teacher first and then kind of go solve that problem. And so I ended up in a place, living in a place that majority had healthcare systems as employers. And I'm said, okay, well, I love to work out. I love the same curiosity as Heidi. I love to learn about the human body. And I certainly love to give back to healthcare. And my parents are both in healthcare. So there's probably some outside influence in that. So I ended up being in healthcare with an engineering degree, which puts you smack dab right into health IT. And that's how I got there. And I have been there ever since in a variety of different ways, always worn my health IT hat. I've been in mergers and acquisitions. I've been in strategy. I've been in education. That's how I started in healthcare. And so now I'm in population health and feel like that that mission is still being served where I get to give love every day in my access service to this community. That's great. I love it. And it is funny how I think none of us expected to be in health IT. So I love that. Um, So I want to switch over now to your organizations and and have you guys both share a little bit about how your organizations got involved in the HL7 Da Vinci Project. And Anna, let's start with you this time. Well, our organization was asked to participate by Regents and Cambia. We have the opportunity to participate in a type of financial arrangement that puts lives and risks on the provider. So meaning we're responsible for that patient or member's health outcome. And it's very important for us to manage that patient to ensure they're living a high quality, high achieving life, right? Especially in their health. So we, as a part of that relationship with Regents, were asked to say, hey, do you guys want to try this data plumbing interoperability thing? And I'm like, you know what? We're having a lot of problems with this right now. And why not? There, there doesn't seem to be a better solution out there. And we've been really focused on how are we going to replumb this thing? So we said yes to the dress, to the rose, whatever your object is, to participate in discovering what da Vinci is and how it can improve our healthcare ecosystem. Great. So Heidi, it sounds like uh, your organization was a little bit of the uh, the driving force here. So curious to hear a little bit about, about your thoughts on how the organization decided to get involved. Absolutely. So Regents is a family of six regional health plans serving about 3.4 million members across four different states. So that's Washington, Oregon, Utah, and Idaho. Uh, each region's health plan is a, a nonprofit independent licensee of the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association. So that's that's my organization. And the technical team at Regents was actually the first ones to engage at the HL7 annual payer summit. I think there was a planning committee at the time that, that was talking about this direction and our technology technology team really believed in, you know, open standards and really believed in changing healthcare. And so they got involved very quickly. And I'll, I'll tell you about how the business side, which is my side of the house, kind of got involved with them and some of your future questions. But I think at the heart of it, the ability to collaborate with multiple people in the project to solve really complicated problems is exciting for Regents and one of the reasons we were a founding member and participate today. That's great. And I have to say, Joss mentioned how long she's been with Point of Care Partners. I think Joss and I actually met at that peer summit when she first started. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It comes, comes out around. So great. Thank you both for that background. So I'm really excited to jump into kind of the meat of the conversation, of course, and, and want to learn a little bit more about kind of implementing some of the Da Vinci guides. Can you tell, tell us a little bit about what kind of problems you're trying to solve? And, and Heidi, I'll start with you again this time. Yeah, so I think in healthcare, right, there's there's always the the payers and the providers, and they're taking care of people at the end of the day. And oftentimes, we are not collaborating. We sit in our silos. We have different data standards we're using. We make the providers go to many different portals to do any sort of a clinical data exchange that has to happen as part of our processes or, or contracting with providers. And so we see kind of that, that opportunity, right, to promote a standard. So we are all speaking the same language. We're not using a bunch of different portals, which is 
burdensome for everybody. It's, it's for the payer and for the provider both. And I think one of the big areas of burden that we have identified early on was prior authorization. And it delays care and it's complicated for members to go through it on our health plan. And so that was absolutely one of our first use cases that we really wanted to tackle. We wanted to make it more transparent. We wanted to, it to be within the provider's workflow and really start to automate the process. Today's very manual and there's a lot of room for human error that exists that even causes more burden and delays in care. And so those were the kind of the core of the problems that we really wanted to solve. But at the end of the day, it's it's really getting away from proprietary workflows, using open standards so everybody can speak together. And for us, this isn't just about prior authorization. It's about providing better care for people. Um, and so maybe as a pair, we can speak to a community-based organization or you know a behavioral health specialist. Everybody can speak together. And that's really our vision. That's great. Anna, anything to add from the provider side? Yeah, I'll add that what we are really getting to the heart at is that many-to-many solution. In a healthcare ecosystem where we have over 480,000 members that we take care of every day and 5,200 providers in our ACL called Care Connected Care. And because of that, we have to find a solution that doesn't just do one contract. We have 28 different contracts. That means 28 different files times five, each one of those 28. So how do we enable ourselves to reduce the burden of all of that data administration and really push more resources to the point of care, to caring for those patients rather than simple tasks that we know can be expressed in a one or a zero logic? That is computer problems to solve not humans. Humans need to be on the complexity of treating humans. And so it's been really important for MultiCare to really look at what are those automations that we can put into place that enable us to share operations. So open standard APIs, this is what we're talking about today. That's what enables us to share operations with the entire healthcare ecosystem, not just one part of it or one entity. And that enables us to really start competing more on how we care and the features of care than it does on this back-end data crunching numbers, all of that pieces that we really just don't need to be competing on. So it's solving a problem for us in that many-to-many solution to enable us to get to data and information that isn't in traditional walls of healthcare. It's in a community-based organization like Heidi referenced. It's to get everyone involved, and this type of solution enables us to do that. That's great. Yeah, we're going to dive into uh, the stakeholders in a minute. But Joss, I'd actually like uh, to ask you to weigh in here. Clearly, the DaVinci community really prioritized the work on implementation guides. Any uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I think this repeatability point, I think, is a really important one that both Heidi and Anna brought up, right? We're, um, we're talking about where can we literally do computer to computer to just reduce waste and improve accuracy. And I think that it was really recognized in the early days, you know, those foundational days of the project that fire was a really important tool, but that we really need to be able to harness it so that we could get to that repeatability. So the role of the implementation guide, and we actually be able to reference sample code for people to use to test their, their implementation of the guides for real became a really important part of the program because if somebody couldn't use that API that they're building, to multiple payers, if we couldn't get to that level of granularity, then we really weren't going to get to the promised land. And and I think that this is a a really important point to make because I think thematically what you're also hearing, I think, in Heidi and Anna's language is this ability to get the information where it's needed, right? Not having to swivel seat into a different portal or a different place to get the information. So being able to expose the information in workflow, right? At the point in time that somebody actually needs it and then automating as much of it as possible so it really becomes seamless to the end user. And then making it repeatable so it can be used not against one payer, but the 40 to 90 payers on average, right, that an organization like Anna's needs to work with is what really is the promise, not just of the the ease of implementation, because it's not easy, but that ability to get the reusability sort of from day one and to get people into their workflows and sort of out of retyping information that computers should be able to tell each other very easily, so... 
That's great. Yeah. So let's pull on that thread a little bit. So Anna, you know, it sounds like there's, you know, clearly a lot of kind of stakeholders involved, right, in, in all of this. And I'd love to hear from your perspective, you know, how how do all the various stakeholders, including kind of those within your organization, get brought together for this? So one of the main pieces of all, the main purpose of all of this is bringing together a team, a team. It's always been about that because this is something that can't be done in our proprietary world. It's got to be done in community. And so the stakeholders are the health community. It is our providers. It is our patients, our members, the people who take care of them, the gyms we go to, the pharmacies we go to, the grocery stores, the other things that help you feel healthy. You can think of a million items, but those are the pieces of the health ecosystem that really have to come together to make this dream of understanding when somebody walks in the door, how to make the best decision for them as a healthcare provider happen. And the people that made this particular work happen are engineers and technologists and analysts and providers. It's the same ecosystem that I just named off that enable us to understand what is what are the problems that they're facing, where automation can be most appropriate, because not everything's going to be automated. And one thing I we did hear a lot of was a concern like, is this going to take my job away? And the answer was no, because if you've seen the backlog of prior authorization, that's never going to end. And so what it does is really moves those complex things to the front line for the humans to do, because we have complex brains and decision-making capabilities, and a computer does logics in ones and zeros at this time, noted. <laughs> at this time, one and zero logic. So it's really a, uh, an enhancement to bring all those teams together and say, okay, where are the places in your everyday work that we can put logic in to automate what you find frustrating or a barrier or, or a bottleneck to what you do? So we really brought that team together to go and shadow what the pre-service team was doing for prior authorization. What are they doing? Oh, they're 90 minutes on hold. Oh, they're faxing. They're, oh, got the wrong person. So now they got to hang up and start 90 minutes again. And, oh, there's this portal and that portal for imaging and that portal for medical and that portal for pharmacy. So they are having to manage many things to remember. I always, I, I, I call it like the, um, the refrigerator, the remote in the refrigerator moment, or your keys in the refrigerator, whatever you do. I like to put things in the refrigerator when I'm not thinking, I'm thinking about something else. <laughs> but when we go to see what's happening with all those stakeholders, we start to understand and unravel that this is a huge ecosystem that needs to weigh into what we're solving today. So it's a community, it's a team of teams, and those are really the people who have made it happen. That's great. And I, I, you know, we often on the pharmacy side talk about kind of operating at the top of your license, right? And it's kind of taking that burden off, right, of them doing these mundane things so they can actually focus. So I love that. Heidi, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think, you know, I'd like to continue my story. We talked about how initially our organization got involved in DaVinci. I'm going to talk about it from the business side, and then you'll see where it all kind of intersected at the right time and place. Um, so in 2017, our CEO of Regents at the time tasked a leadership group that I was a part of. And the task really was, how do we not make our members experience the prior authorization process? That was really the task at the end of the day. And so we all came together and had many meetings and put down you know, a whole whiteboard full of, of different ways we could do that. And at the core of all of it, it came down to interoperable connections to our providers. That was our recommendation in 2017. We absolutely have to be connected to them within their workflow in the EMR. And then from there, we can start to automate the process and make it as transparent, fast as possible. So our goal in 2017 was to enable point of care conversations between a provider and a patient. And that's absolutely still our vision today. And we believe we're on the right path to get there tomorrow. What was interesting at that time is, as I mentioned, our technology team went to the summit and then they kind of got on board and all of a sudden, one of the chief of staffs actually connected me with them 
And then we just started down the path of, of what we launched in October, which is a, a you know a fire-based prior authorization workflow, direct payer to provider. Um, so it was really exciting to actually see that that vision come come to life. But but another part of that story is that prior authorization is extremely complicated. And within the health plan, we have many teams that touch a transaction as it comes through. And so because our CEO is behind it, it really set the direction in the organization to get broad support across all the different teams. Um, within our organization. And that was absolutely critical to make this successful and, and see it happen. And then the last thing I'll just call out, Anna just talked about, is getting a provider partner that was willing to come and, and collaborate and innovate with us. And it was important for us as a health plan to seek a provider partner that was also interested in other use cases. Like I said, we didn't see this as just a prior authorization use case. Anytime we exchange data, there's opportunity there to automate and make it better and faster. And so that was exciting too, because we have different control arrangements with multi-care where we could also broaden out um, the use cases from prior authorization. That's great. Can I just add one thing to that, which is the bringing a team of teams together with, with regions has been the most powerful thing because it's also bringing two cultures together. Like we chose to work for our companies, however, why, whatever our why is. And we, we had to bring all these stakeholders together who are reinventing the way we plumb data and being an R&D with a team that you have, you don't know that you, that you're just getting used to has a totally different culture than you was something that was hard and so amazing about what came out as the product, because we had to have conflict in what we were doing. Are you sure? Is this way? I don't know. Well, I don't like that. What are you? And the conflict became this really healthy, like coming together. It's almost glue of of the two cultures together that created this trust in each other instead of a negotiation across the table between a pair and race. It was really working together to solve a problem and bringing all of our values together in that conversation. And it was not always an easy conversation. It was something that had to be solved for, a problem that had to be solved for. But in the end, Heidi talked with such enthusiasm and yes, love. And that is exactly what happened. It just, that team became that ball of love, whatever you want to call it, and created this end product that is an open standard API that we can reuse over and over. So Bringing those stakeholders together is also about bringing cultures together and being able to do that. And I think too, just dovetailing off what you said, I, I think at the core of what you are describing, right, is transparency. I think we often as payers and providers sit in our little silos and we're not transparent with each other. And that was one of the things that Anna and I um, did at the very beginning was be very transparent with each other and our teams. So we actually shared our prior authorization workflow as a health plan with her team so that they could see what happens on the health plan side. So, you know, it's often a black box for everybody, right? But that allowed those silos to start to break down and, and build trust, which I think was really foundational. Yeah, this is great. I mean, it just seems like such a perfect, you know, kind of coming together. And and I think that, you know, just having our, our audience kind of understand that, right? And it's not, I mean, it was getting over cultural differences, so many differences, but but you guys were able to make it work. And that's, you know, that's I think why Jocelyn and I are like so excited about this because, you know, it's actually that real life implementation, which is fantastic. So kind of keeping on that thread, and you shared some of this already, right? Of, of kind of that executive level commitment, your guys' teams really kind of working together and getting past those cultural barriers and, and really working together as a team. So I'm curious, um, and I'm sure our audiences as well, just any other kind of nuts and bolts, things like that on how long did the implementation take, maybe the budget, other things about working together that you'd want to share with our audience? Yeah, so I can, I can jump in first, um, Anna, if that sounds good. So um, I get a lot of questions from other payers and people. Um, this, you know, this is a big undertaking. Where do you, where do you even start, right? I talked about how you kind of get the acceptance and the organization, but then, okay, you're going to move forward and do it. Where do I start? And is, and I get a lot of questions too. Is this a business initiative? Is it a technology initiative? How do we even look at this within our organization? And so my first Thing that I always say to other health plans when I talk to them is this is not one or the other, right? It's it's both. It's <laughs> you need the business side to come forward because it's obviously got to meet their needs, and you need the technology expertise in order to deliver 
on the business needs, right? So both of us came to the table equally and, and really approached this um, together. And I think that's important. Secondarily, this is, it is a complicated initiative. This was not easy, right? But it's absolutely doable. And, and I think, you know, we've, we've misstepped a few times, but now we've got it in the implementation guide. So for other people, they can take it and run with it, which is exciting. But we built a foundation of electronic authorization, which is absolutely foundational to any health plan wanting to do something like this. You have to be able to drive a proper um, PA check. So when a provider puts in a code and a member's information, we need to be able to tell them confidently, does that require prior authorization or not? That is at the end of the day, one of the most important responses that comes back to them because the majority of inquiries actually don't require prior authorization. So they're getting an instant answer in their EMR um, and they can just move forward with that service and conversation. Um, but when it does, then you've got to build out electronically your policy criteria or your guidelines that have to be met in order for the health plan to pay for that service. So in 2017, we launched that first kind of PA check foundation for electronic authorization. And then in 2018, we built out all of our policy criteria sets so we could surface those um, transparently to the providers. And then from there, that gave us a really good foundation to incorporate our vendors that we use for utilization management. So for example, we actually have an external vendor that does our imaging um, reviews for us. So we incorporated them into that workflow. Um, and then what we were able to do, which is really exciting, is take that foundation and then lift and shift it into what you're seeing today, which is our fire-based um, workflow. So absolutely take it, you know, take baby steps towards it and um, you can absolutely accomplish it and it's doable. Great. Anna, anything to add there? Yeah, I'll add a couple of things about not just prior off, but some other use cases that we've put into place and kind of Average, what is on the provider time are we seeing for implementation? So prior authorization, most of the build and the burden is on the payer to create the automated systems that do the decision-making about the authorization. The provider is showing up with the same data we had before, just now in an open standard API, that means we don't have to touch it. Whereas before we did have to touch it, we had to go in there and type it in or copy and paste or download a PDF. Whatever the criteria was, we had to enable that to get to the payer in some way, shape or form. And with an API, we don't have to do that, pulling it itself and surfacing it to the payer. So for us, we're seeing that most of these implementation guides we're picking up is six to eight weeks, soup to nuts, in production, going, making it happen live. It takes about that much timeline. Once you've got your, your planning all done, you hit dev, you're gonna build. We From build to stabilization, about six to eight weeks. That seems to be the average timeline of many of the implementation guides we've put into place. We're gonna start a new one here, CDEX coming up. Thank you, we're really excited. We'll see what that one, what, how that one performs too, but I'm thinking it's going to be very similar to the same timeline. And as far as investment into development, so, Healthcare companies, not interested in being software companies, although I would argue that you are managing data and software more sometimes more than you're caring for people because that is how healthcare decisions are made today. And so we have to enable ourselves to create these, these solutions that get us to a place that give us a return on investment. So when we first put this, we did an uh, implementation guide called DEQM, Data Exchange for Quality Measures. We picked one quality measure, an easy one, that we could get the data for called Med Reconciliation Post-Discharge, 30 days. Can we get that data o over to Cambia? And how much does that cost us in development and project work and all the players who would be involved on the provider side? Cost us about $15,000 to put in a microservice model that took the data, put it out into the API, and enabled it to get over to Cambia. Now, being in a value-based contract means I am getting some pay for performance, meaning if I do close that quality gap, I get a dollar associated with that quality gap in return, which is how we're kind of slowly changing the financial model of healthcare from paying for volume to paying for value. So of those gaps that we closed, it resulted in about $17,000 that year that, for that particular measure. So in year one, 
I've already seen a return on this development and this capability. And every year after, I don't have to redevelop. These are open standard APIs that can be recycled in, in many use cases. And I get to continue to return that dollar back into the health system and, and back to the patient. We are a not-for-profit health system. All the, those dollars get turned right back into the system for more and further development, which is why we get to do things like CDEX in the future. So really important on the journey and the timeline and the dollars, I think, speak for themselves. But the investment is worth it, worth it, but it's finding the time in healthcare right now because we are all drowning <laughs> in a very interesting situation that we've been put in because of just the series of unfortunate events that have happened over the past couple of years. And what we have noticed is it's worth the pause in the doing and doing this. It's worth the investment because we're making a provider's life easier. They're burnt out. When we can show them this exciting thing, they're like, what? And they're like, this is exactly what I've been looking for. And it's this tiny proof of concept. And having that excitement build and then also returning the investment is is exactly what healthcare needs. So taking that pause, figuring out how you can get it done with the minimal resources is 100% worth your time. That was fantastic. So Josh, I, I'm going to turn to you because I heard so many amazing things just now uh, from Anna and Heidi, and I, I'd like to get your input, right? I mean, it, it seems like this is what Da Vinci was really meant to do, right? Uh, so what are your thoughts on all this? Well, first, I, I just want to say, I think it's amazing how public uh, and how much the team has shared their work and their learnings, because we know that there's other people making these progress points, but they're not willing to get up on stage and talk about it. So first, I'm indebted to you guys for the amount of time that you spend um, out there sharing it. But I think there's a couple of things that are really important here to tease out of the conversation. Um, the first is, and Anna, I love the DEQM example, right? Because it's like simple, stupid. We got paid back the first year for one measure, and we haven't even signed up any other payers, right, to actually use it on. Like that is... And, you know, I've, I've seen Heidi and her colleagues present in public on the prior us stuff and the amount of time we're saving both the people on Heidi's team and that we're saving people on Anna's team is simple. Like we're talking about three, 400% improvements in throughput of prior authorization because we're using computers for what they were built to do, right? And we're making the lift lighter. I think there's a couple of things I want to point out, though, that I think that has positioned this team uniquely to let us go first with them in so many ways. The first is, I think that there's no coincidence about sort of the excitement and energy that you're hearing from Anna and Heidi because of sort of what's driven them here, right? Anna's got a user-centered design background. And so really making the life better for people using things makes, makes a difference. And to do that pause of like, what can I really do to increase that transparency? And that transparency piece that you heard Heidi talk about is so incredibly important, right? We're talking about essentially giving equitable information to providers about the patients they're trying to care for when they're caring for the patients, right? Like none of this is radical, but the fact that we're able to do it with, you know, pretty light lift, it's hard. It's not easy. I would argue that the tech is hard, but it's the people process change management that you heard both of those organizations were ready to tackle, you know, about getting into workflow, about making this better you know, with the end goal of the patient actually getting what they needed and getting better care and having better outputs. And I think if you continue to focus on those, I think that you'll see that your organization is ready to do those things. It's not easy. You know, it's not, you know, you don't get on, you know, the start line and just, you know, sprint. But, but, but as long as you're acknowledging that what we're doing here is a combination of tech and people process change management, I think that you'll be girded to be able to take advantage of the refill, the, the repeatability and the reuse of these foundational workflows um, that we're seeing that fire can enable. And I think that that's to me what's really important. Um, but but there is you know there's risk that people that are leading here and going first, um, I think are learning a tremendous amount and they're understanding what they need to change about their own underpinnings inside their organization. I mean, so I think it really takes sort of a leadership moment inside of an organization to say, am I going to do this strategically? Am I going to really think about sort of how I need to set myself up for success for the next 20 or 30 years? Or am I going to continue to take the attitude that I just need to check the box from a compliance standpoint? And I think those are sort of the big conversations that, you know, people need to be having within their own organizations. Um, or I think like 
I think, you know, the multi-care and the regions team have shown us, you know, if you can do that with your partners out in the making your walls less permeable to each other, you're going to be able to get to that success faster. And there's going to be, um, there's going to be a pull for your business side and for your folks that care about provider relationships and, and patient relationships to really lean in to do that work sooner rather than later beyond sort of what a technical compliance mandate might be. Yeah, that's great. All right. So we talked about nuts and bolts. We've talked about some of the great uh, success factors. So I'd like both of you uh, to just talk a little bit about, you know, were there any kind of aha moments as you guys were going through this? Um, And Heidi, I'm going to start with you this time. I think for me, the, the aha moment was a prayer and a provider can collaborate together and really come to the table to solve for a complex transaction that has to happen between the two of them. That really was the big aha moment for me. And then I think secondarily, like I said, you know, we had this vision and when we went live in October of 2022, it it was amazing after so many years of work putting into this to really be able to go live and then now start to get results back. And I know you'll You'll talk about results here in a second, but to actually see all that hard work went in and, and it, it really is producing great results. And, and for me, we're just scratching the surface of what we can do, right? So we're already seeing these great results and there's just so much more we can do um, to automate the process and make it more instant. Um, and then, you know, for me too, bringing in the, the patients into all of this as well. So if we can immediately send responses back to the providers in the electronic medical record, if we can send those answers to you know, our members at the same time, how powerful is that to really give people information they need at the time they need it to make the best decision for their, their treatment or care pathway. So those are, are exciting. And then the other aha moment for me was, you know, I like to succeed. I'm very type A <laughs> personality and, and I had to learn how to fail a few times, right? Like we made a few um, decisions and then we said, oh wait, no, Multicare wants it this way. We need to change it <laughs> um, or enhance it. And, and so it was, oh, I didn't get it right the first time. So for me, that was a great lesson though, right? Like when you innovate, you've got to be able to change direction a few times, but, but keep your eye on, on the, the end vision. So. That's great. So Anna, let's, uh, I'd like your aha moment and also share some of the results that you guys are, are seeing. I was just thinking too, of the magic button. I should have said yeah. something too. That was like the big aha moment that this really made a difference for the providers when they started yeah. call, calling it the, the magic and button. Everything <laughs> going through the button, Anna, That's what they want to know, like, how come I can't put all of it in the button? <laughs> okay. We're getting there. We're getting there. I promise. Um, Yes, aha moment. I'm going to share Heidi's the fail fast. Like when you do R&D, you have to be able to let your idea go and let it take you somewhere organically. In fact, that's a requirement. If you're going to get hired on my team, you have to be able to be ambiguous, thinking, you know, appreciate some of the others better idea than yours. You have to be so humble and just be a really good listener at what can we do better? Because Yes, Heidi made an adjustment for us, but we made adjustments for our partner, right? Our payer partner, Regents. So we were give and take because we want to make this process this not just for us, it's for the people using it and for all others who come after and try to implement the same thing. We want to make it as best as it can be with the tech we have today so that it can really scale. There's no point in making something super custom. I think that's something, that's my other aha is that we have been slogging through development. Oh God, we have to make a workflow. And here I am with my pencil and my whiteboard and I got eight things because it's all custom. It's all proprietary. You can't get to features. You're only trying to move data and information with buttons and things. And now it's almost as if with this capability, what it's really taught me and what it's really taught our development team and our technologists and everybody who's been involved with this project, all those stakeholders we mentioned before, is that, oh, you mean if we do these open standard APIs, you can get me what I want? Yep, I can. And it's not going to take me a whole year and a half to get it to you because I have to redesign a whole core of a product. I get to just create a feature for you. It's a very simple. It's just a real big aha that you know what, we only have to develop that first name and last name once. We only have to develop that A1C once. There's the API, it's out there. 
build the apps on top. It's the most brilliant architecture that's been used in other places, finance, commerce, all these different ways already. Making it easy for people to spend money is what, you know, all those companies want to do. And now we're just taking that same application and applying it to healthcare to say, let's make healthcare easier. Let's make access easier. Let's make data easier. Let's help them make better decisions. That's the aha for me is that this is a new layer of infrastructure that essentially is the electrical grid for healthcare. And we get to develop, the developers are going, yes, because they get to do so much more actual feature development rather than infrastructure build. That with this grid in place. So if we can get there together, it's going to take community. We're not there yet. Heidi and I are just early adopters. We can really open healthcare up to that same place as other industries have gone, where it's more about sharing data and information so that the consumer gets what they need so that healthcare person lives a better life than they do today because you're, you can make a better decision than you could before. You have more information at your fingertips. So I think there's a lot of success factors, right, on the provider side and then on the payer side as well. Representing the payer side, and I'll let Anna chime in here on the provider side, but on the payer side, we've had over 2,700 inquiries into this workflow since October. And the exciting part about that is out of all those inquiries, 88% of the time, we were actually able to give them an immediate response, whether something required PA or not. And then if it did, We were also able to auto-process many of those inquiries. There's some that we do pen for human review, but 88% of the time they got an immediate response in the electronic medical record, which is really exciting. The other exciting thing um, that I am really proud of and one of my goals when we went live with this is to actually to return the determination letter back to the provider. So when the health plan is going to potentially deny a prior authorization, we can tell them exactly why it was denied. So they can take action on that right away. And so we actually just went live with that about three months ago too. So we're returning an actual reason for that particular denial or a reason for the approval back to the provider. So they're getting that instantly back in the EMR, which is incredibly valuable to them. Those results that Heidi just shared are incredible for us as a provider. They enable us to automate 88% of our workflow, which really results for us in 233% increase in productivity rate. A huge number for us to be able to allow computers to do their jobs and enable humans to do these complex prior authorizations because there are many of them and they need a human to be able to process them. So this really enables us to put tech in the right place and humans in the right place. And they call it the magic button. So you can't argue that it's making their life better. It's making it magical. So we're really excited that we had the opportunity to do this with Regents and super honored to be able to bring this tech with all of my team. There's a whole team. I don't do any of this. I'm just the cheerleader around them. They do the work and they make it happen. And it is an incredible result that is that we've ended up with. So I want to pull on that just for kind of our, one of our last questions is, you know, what advice or insight would you give, right, to stakeholders who may be on the fence or thinking that the risk might be too great, uh, you know, to do this? It, you know, and, and as you said, right, you guys are early implementers, but, you know, what you, I feel like you've made huge progress, right, in, in kind of moving these forward. So, Anne, I'm going to start with you and then have Heidi ch- chime in. And then Joss would love your perspective also just from a broader Da Vinci community on kind of what advice would you give for folks? on the fence. If I was on the fence about this, I would really take a deep look at how much time and money you're spending writing old school ETL packages. How much is that developer? How many are you doing? How many are you managing? Probably over 400 a day or more. And they break all the time. And that person is exhausted from fixing those things every day. And we can't afford another person. Healthcare can't do it. So if we're going to keep doing the same thing over and over, we're going to get the same results. Albert Einstein. So if we can really take a deep look at your capability and freeing up one person's capacity to just try. I think we had like two people on the, two or three people on the first implementation. It was like the four of us. We're like, okay, who's got it today? You're coding this? All right. And they were so excited because they would code it overnight. They'd be so excited to do this. It's just, they're so tired of trying to fix everything that really take a look at 
your largest asset, which is your employees. And this can transform them. It can transform your culture and it's going to transform healthcare. It already is. We're seeing it today. So I think your takeaway is to be curious, ask those questions on how you get better and you'll, you will come to this answer because it is so much better than the way we've been doing it in the past. And it's better for every stakeholder in the entire ecosystem to do it this way. Great. Heidi, thoughts from the payer side? Yeah, I agree with everything Anna said. And just to touch on that a little bit, I mean, the risk is too great not to do this, right? I mean, I, I saw a statistic from our, our CTO a few weeks ago that um, we are wasting about $30 billion due to the lack of open standards in healthcare and, and healthcare costs aren't going down. So this is a way that we can actually start to create change from a financial perspective, but but also from a, a people perspective, right? Enabling those, those point of care conversations and allowing people to have more transparency into their treatment pathways and what their health plan is going to cover and not cover. Um, and then have those thoughtful conversations with their providers is absolutely critical. And, and I firmly believe this is the way to enable that to happen. And if we don't do this, we'll continue to use proprietary workflows and nobody's going to talk to each other, and we're just going to stay in a stagnant space in healthcare. The other thing I would say too is, is right, start small, start foundational. And I, I drive that message home over and over again with my own organization as well. You can do proof of concepts, like Anna just mentioned the the DEQM concept that we did or use case with them, and and you know you could do one, and and we already proved that as valuable. Then add more. So there's ways to do it without taking on a bunch of risk either. Great. Joss, from the Da Vinci kind of perspective. Yeah, so I laughed with Pooja before on, we got on the phone today. I'm like, I don't need to be on today's call. These guys are going to say everything that I would have to, uh, <laughs> that I would say out to the market, which is great. Because I, I think that, you know, the, the sort of the candor and realness that you talk about, sort of what your journey's been like, I think is incredibly important. When I think about the aha, though, um, that I've had, you know, if we think about sort of going into this last year with things really going into production at scale, I think that, um, you know, you heard talk about, you know, there at Regents is a payer that has really rethought about how they use prior authorization on the market and that we're really talking about sort of being at this tipping point on, on how we operate, but also this idea that that it is, it is just as much about sort of you getting your internal house in order and understanding what your priorities are and where should you start first based on where your business priorities are, because then identifying a place to pick up and use sort of fire and the APIs and the guides that we're building, there's something out there for you to jump into. And finding the partner to go first with, I think is critically important. So when I think about sort of the aha, it really is that, you know, the orgs that have figured out what their priorities are, figured out sort of what I always like to laugh and joke, order of operations, they're going to start to subsume some of this stuff. Because, you know, along with the get started now, because we can't afford not to, there's a regulatory wall coming at all of us. And, you know, you've heard this is a multi-year journey for an org that had full support, orgs that had full support, that had willing partners. So, you know, getting started now, I, I don't know how people aren't figuring out how to get started now, you know, listening to sort of compelling stories like the multi-care and the region's team are sharing. So I, I think that that to me, this, this idea that it really is sort of a multi-year effort, even b with the tech sort of being as easy to use and reusable. Um, it's about getting yourself to the starting gate that is the most important part. Great, thanks, Joss. All right, so as we close out, um, I always like to ask our guests if you have any final messages or calls to action for the industry. I think the past couple were great, right? To, to kind of get that message out to people that may be on the fence, but anything else uh, that you, you guys want to share with us? And Heidi, I'll start with you and then, then we'll go to Anna. Yeah, I think, you know, as we've already mentioned, I, I do really think this is going to change the landscape of healthcare. I firmly believe that. I think we're on the cutting edge of that, and it's really exciting to see. And that, that was another aha moment for me, even just doing this podcast about the work we've done, right? It's, it's really going to change, I think, the way healthcare operates. And, and that's exciting to me. But in order to do that, we have to get more payers, more providers, and even other organizations, right, that are involved in healthcare to the table and really join us in, in this effort that we've been pushing forward. I think there's a lot of opportunity here. And at the end of the day, keeping, you know, the the patients and the and the people at the core of the focus, which is making sure that they have the best healthcare that they can have in the United States. Great. Anna, last thoughts. 
Well, our mission at MultiCare is partnering for healing in a healthier future. And this work cannot be done without the community. And Da Vinci gives us that community. They're public halls. You can go to them. You don't have to be a paying member. You can participate in just get your feet wet and understanding what your organization needs to ready itself for or how you might get to that small proof of concept. And really, how we get to that healthier future is this informational electrical grid that open standards APIs build. They enable us to more freely and transparently share data and information that is more secure than it is today and enable us to do it at scale, which is what we're really doing. Healthcare is a national part of our being, and people move around a lot more than they used to, and data needs to move with them. And this open standard API infrastructure enables us to do that work and to follow the patient and to be with them in their community. So do it in community. You've got to find a partner and one that you can build that culture, that team of teams with to just start. And from there, I promise you, it speaks for itself. And no matter what the budget is, they make room when you're telling them it returns an investment. But you have to tell your story. And I think that's one thing that I would ask for is that if there are providers and other partners out there doing this work, come forward, tell your story. We'd love to have you here at the table. I want to hear. I want to. I don't want. I want to be in the audience someday. I can't wait. That's like my goal, right? <laughs> um, so I'm really looking forward to the future, and this is the way. This is the way we're going to make it happen. Oh, fantastic! So I know we probably went way over time, but this has just been amazing. So in closing, I just want to thank my POCP co-host and interop expert Jocelyn Keegan, and of course, thank you to our trailblazing guests uh, Anna Taylor and Heidi uh, Heidi Kriz. You guys have been amazing. Like this has just been a joy to hear you guys. And you know, we talk about this at Point of Care Partners all the time, right? Interoperability and open standards and all of that. So to have you guys on has just been wonderful. So thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us. And uh, just a friendly reminder um, to our new listeners that you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or really whatever platform you use to pick your podcasts, including the Healthcare Now Radio. Um, we also post videos of our podcast episodes, um, sometimes longer versions. So this one will probably be the longer version on YouTube that you'll want to go listen to. Um, and we've got a POCP YouTube channel for that. So uh, thank you again, Anna. Thank you again, Heidi and Jocelyn for uh, bringing this great group of women together. Uh, and don't forget, health IT is a dish best served hot. Is it a challenge to stay on top of interoperability regulations and the flurry of activity with fire accelerators? Email us at interopoutlook at POCP.com to learn more about our new interoperability outlook subscription monitoring service. 